Hi, this is Peter Sandström from Moon Safari. You're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and this is episode number 128. My guest for this episode is Petter Sandström from the Swedish progressive rock band Moon Safari. Now, if you're not familiar with Moon Safari, this is a band that should be known by a lot of progressive rock fans, but it should also be known outside the prog rock realm because these guys are just amazing at creating melodic and harmonious rock and roll with soaring five-part harmonies that you just don't hear every day. Moon Safari is back after a 10-year absence with a new album called Himlabakken Volume 2. This, of course, is the follow-up to Himlabakken Volume 1, and it came out on December 8th on Bloomude Records and December 6th in Japan on Marquee Records. It's the band's fifth studio album, and they are back with a vengeance, folks. This is a fantastic Moon Safari record. If you already are familiar with the band, this might be next-level stuff. If you're not familiar with the band, please, by all means, check them out. Petter was kind enough to tell me about his background musically and also about the making of this album, why it took 10 years to put out a new album, and a lot more. Before we get to that interview, I want to remind you to go to michaelsrecordcollection.com where you can find links to everything, including my free newsletter. You can sign up and get it every week. It also includes a link there to my Patreon. I would love your support. For as little as $2 a month, you can get extra benefits. And of course, the more support you have for the show, the more your benefits increase. There are also links there to all my social media outlets. You can find me at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I'd love to hear from you, so please drop me a line at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. All right, with all the housekeeping out of the way, let's get to that interview with Moon Safari's Petter Sandström. Here we go. I'm very excited to have with me today from the band Moon Safari, Petter Sandström. Petter, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to this. So you guys have a new album coming out. Himlabakken Volume 2 comes out December 8th on uh, Bloomjude Records. December 6th in Japan on Marquee. Uh, but everywhere else in the world gets it December 8th. Your fifth studio album. Your your first studio album in 10 years. Where have you guys been? <laughs> yeah, we've been. Uh, blame it on the kids and the pandemic. No, but uh, it it took us a long time, too long of a time. But um, uh, kids are partly to to blame, you know. And uh, we uh, every everyone in the band is is working, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, and uh, we I think we recorded the drums 2019. So the drums and the bass, the foundation, they were they were there um, 2019. But then the pandemic hit. So if I couldn't travel to to Celestio where uh, the other guys live, and uh, and so it was a lot of back and forth, um, messenger on Facebook, and you know, trying to sort out this this post production hell we were <laughs> we were in. Uh, so so uh, the, the yeah the post production on this album took a, a long time, and that's usually the part of a uh, recording an album that I most enjoy okay. you know the decoration of the christmas tree decorating the christmas tree 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a good analogy. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been enjoying this. I've been listening to it the last few days and uh, just can't wait to get into the conversation about it with you. But I want to start out by asking you what I normally ask my guests, which is what was your first favorite record? The first record that really stuck out to you in your in your memory when you were a kid? Uh, you, you know, um, so this, I think I'm four years old or something like that. And uh, my dad is is cleaning the house. He's vacuuming. And so he's, he says, son, choose a record from their collection. Choose one or two and sit in this chair with headphones on while I clean the house. And the albums I chose were um, Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. Oh. And Beatles Help. Okay. Both white whitish albums. Um, I don't know, but so I, I must have chosen, uh, you know, uh, visually because I had no idea. Monteron looks cool as hell, you know. Yeah. With the boss hanging on Clarence. And, That's right. And uh, yeah, I, I, something striking about the Beatles Help cover art as well and uh, i remember you know listening so i sat there and yelling to my father turn the disc (laughs) (laughs) turn the sides yeah and uh still to this day um i'm a huge bruce springsteen fan and uh, always been a a beetle maniac all my life yeah yeah that's great um those are very iconic covers so it's easy to see why you chose them and I'm glad you chose wisely. Who knows where your life would have gone if you had chosen something terrible? Yeah, but <laughs> they they didn't have, you know, a lot of albums. I think, you know, maybe 100, something like that. But almost all of them are great. You know, Super Tramp records, 10CC records, and, uh, you know, so uh, it was a good upbringing. Now, when did you when did you become a musician? When did you start to take lessons or get interested in learning how to how to perform uh i uh uh so the a guitar always was always in the house but uh none of my nor my mother or my father played the guitar or my sister but uh it, it was always there and i you know strummed on it occasionally but i think i picked it up when i was 16 yeah, must have been sixteen, and uh, thought myself, you know, it's uh, I'm not not very good, but it's a, it's a great tool to write songs on. <laughs> yeah, so you wanted to uh, you wanted to to make your own music, and you you figured it out on your own, and you you figured out enough to where you could uh, come up with melodies and that kind of thing. That's great. Yeah, so. but but so I, I got another memory because we had a VHS. Um, a tape of a, I think it was a Dire Straits concert. Mm. And uh, at the end, um, they're doing a theme from Local Hero. And uh, Mark Knopfler and uh, Hank Marvin has a guitar duet, you know, mm-hmm. and both playing Fenders and Mark Knopfler with the iconic red Fender. So it's, it's like, I've always wanted to have a Fender guitar. <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> So when I bought one, uh, I don't know, 12 years ago or something that was a big moment for me yeah well, you, you you checked off a bucket list item for you that's yes <laughs> i did yeah <laughs> yeah that's excellent so tell me about 
the formation of Moon Safari. How did this group of musicians, I know you've had a couple of lineup changes um, over the years. How did the, the initial group that became Moon Safari get together? How did that start? Uh, well, it's, uh, I think it was uh, you once, Vision, the first, you know, let's start a band. I've heard you strum on a couple of ideas. So let's do something. And um, we were building a, a studio in in um, in Schleste. Uh and uh, as a thanks for helping to build that studio, like you get a couple of hours or days in the studio to to do a recording, a demo, or something like that. Mm. But we were like, let's let's go for it. <laughs> so <laughs> we, I think we recorded um, the first demo was four tracks or something um uh about 30 minutes of music or something like that 25 and the guy who allowed us the studio time was like uh, you know why I, I said a couple of days you know maybe two days but <laughs> it's like but there's no one here can't be used <laughs> it <laughs> so, uh but um so it was me and me and you on uh Yuan's vision recruited me we were pals we played hockey together and we've known each other forever and uh but we needed a, we needed a guitar player a drummer and a keyboard player so uh and we knew simon from uh he was he's from the same village as me and Yuan. uh a couple of years younger but we we played uh you know cowboys and indians and stuff like that <laughs> when we were when we were kids and uh, so we knew and we knew he was a great singer we've been uh, hooked up on uh on parties and we talked uh talked a lot about talked a lot about the beatles and stuff like that and he's you know he's always trying to recruit people for doing some impromptu harmonizing and stuff like that and uh, mm-hmm. and I, I i guess after you know Meeting him in a couple of parties, it's like, okay, you're hired. He's like, what? Yes, you're it. You're in. You're in the band now. He's like, okay. <laughs> and uh, Tobias and Anton, um, the guitar play- drummer and guitar player, they played in the a Karma Cosmic, a progressive metal band, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. where uh, Michael, who is, who is our new drummer, uh, he played keyboards in that band. They were kind of like a, a dream dream theater. Yeah. Uh, really, they were really tight, a really tight band, and uh, had some good songs. But we have snatched the members and like, okay, this is the new band, mm-hmm. Moon Safari. And uh, I think the first, our first rehearsal was fifteen minutes, and we uh, we rehearsed the, the theme from from Doorway, I think, for fifteen minutes. Then Anton and you, and then Anton and Tobias was like, "Okay, we're grabbing a movie now. We it's been booked forever." And so, so me, me, you, and Simon's like, "Okay, that <laughs> went quite well. <laughs> we should do this again." All right. So I know that you had help early on in your career as a band from Tomas Bodine. Is that how Tomas Bodine became aware of you through Tobias and uh, and and that connection? Um, so, um, I think I was the huge Flower King guy in the band. You won 
liked everybody liked the Flower Kings in the band, but um, and we always thought they had really nice production, and uh, but we didn't dare to ask it all in there. <laughs> so I was like, I mean, we always loved Thomas landscapes, and you know, and uh, and so we it's like we need we need a guy, you know, to to help us if we're gonna gonna make an album. And so I just, I say, I, I can write him an email. I'll send him a, a, you know, a track from our, from our first demo. And he, I think the song, we sent a couple of, I think we sent two tracks or something like that. Uh, and one was a song called Love the Rain. It's, we, we have never really released that song, but uh, it's kind of a jellyfish uh, poppy song. Uh, yeah. Me and me and Simon wrote must have been 2002, 2003 or something like that. 2003, and it's it has a bit of a it's, it's raining again feel. It had saxophone solo and uh, <laughs> and I, I guess Thomas thought it was catchy and I, I I bet you know you can hear some nice melodies and uh, and of course Simon's harmonies yeah. when you hear them it's like okay this is next level <laughs> so and he replied and it's like sure i can come up to Sleftio, book me a flight and uh get me a place to stay and i'll help you guys and so we um yeah he was up for a week or something like that and uh and he he helped us we had um i think the first demo for we spin the world from our first album was like 18 minutes or something like that and he has said like yeah you know it's all your ideas they're like a wet towel you just need to squeeze them out because there's such great ideas and um he was really yeah he's been a mentor for the first album and we we talk with him even you know every now and then um uh, but it, it was like, you know, uh, so we're re- releasing an album on our own and um, we have all these contacts, distributors and the stuff like that. And it's like, so so what do we charge? And he's like, this is the price you set and nothing under that. And he had, I think he had released um, his I Am solo album. Yeah, great album. Around the same time. Yeah, yeah, really good. It's like I... Whenever I hear that that theme in the beginning of that song, it's like takes me back, you know, to all the, the recording of the first album. And yeah, yeah, it's funny because those are all three long songs on that album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah it's so a great record. Thomas helps you get going, and of course, uh, you mentioned Simon and the the harmonies.
there are very few bands doing five part harmonies in really any rock genre, uh, let alone the progressive rock genre. How did that start? And, and how did you guys buy into that idea so quickly? We just, you know, we, we always, me and you on our we are, uh, music yankees. So we, we always love the, the harmonies of cross between snatch and young, you know, that stuff and the, and the, and the Beatles harmonies. It's just, it just elevates the, the, the tracks and, uh, and Simon, he throws in a couple of jazzy things here and there, but it's, he's like, he's no stranger to it. It's like, no, doesn't work. It's a three part harmony here or, uh, just, uh, two parts sometimes. So he's, um, I mean, produces himself or <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> but it's, just, uh, uh but it was not uh, we we always thought you know it added a another dimension to the music and uh something you, you uh, as you said uh you don't hear it that often you know five-part harmonies in progressive rock i think it's i don't know any other band except no, i mean i mean some bands will do some three-part harmonies here and there and choruses and things like that but I mean, you guys have made that such a staple part of your sound. Now, did Simon have like a music theory background at all, or did did he just learn that on his own? His father is a choir conductor, wow. so uh, so he's been singing vocal harmonies since I guess you know he was born, mm-hmm. and uh, and his brothers were singing as well. His mom and dad were they had a vocal group, and. Um, there's a lovely, lovely video of them singing harmonies when Simon and Pontus are just little kids and Sebastian says, I'm, I don't know this song. I don't want to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now look at him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is uh, this is great. You guys have uh, you're coming out with your fifth studio album, the first since Himmlerbakken Volume One. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know Swedish very well. Himmlerbakken means Heaven Hill. Yeah. Okay. Which ties right into the first track on this, and it's uh, so let's let's set the stage. These uh, are the these are the people on the album. Yourself, Petter Sandstrom, uh, lead and backing vocals, acoustic guitar, uh, Simon Ackerson. Lead and backing vocals, piano, organ, and Moog. Uh, Pontus Akison, lead and backing vocals, electric and acoustic guitar. I know this is a lot of lead vocalists, but that's what this band is, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Sebastian <laughs> Akison, backing vocals, uh, assorted keys and percussion. Uh, Michael Israelson, backing vocals, drums, percussion, keyboards, and piano. And Yuan Westerland, lead and backing vocals and bass guitar. He also had a special guest performance by Jameson Smeltz on saxophone on the song forever for you 
And yeah. you guys wrote, arranged, and pro- wrote and arranged the songs and produced the album yourselves. And it was recorded in, uh, I- I'm sorry, the pronunciation for this town, Skellefte, Sweden? Yeah, it's uh, Shaleftio. Shaleftio. Um, it's like she left you. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. a, that's a good way to that's a good yeah. way to remember it. All right, and this thing was mixed and mastered by Rich Mauser in L.A. And that guy does phenomenal work. And I I imagine having heard these tracks, you guys have to be just over the moon with with what he's done with these songs. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's a great great sounding it's a a great mix and the master by rich uh so we sent out a couple of uh, a test song to uh, a couple of names and um, and rich was was the best by far and uh yeah he's he's been great and uh i think he has he's had a lot of patience with us because we're so so picky <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he sent us a mix and we're like okay but can you just fit more harmonies and you know mm-hmm. maybe add a bit more reverb on the harmonies and so like 133 up with the guitar down with so uh <laughs> yeah he's he did a great job yeah. yeah so uh that that's something i was curious about is when you're recording these songs am i hearing each of you in these five-part harmonies one time or are there multiple layers of your voices uh, there's, there's overdubs mm-hmm. uh yes uh we normally we overdub every harmony two times but sometimes we wanted you know more lush and uh we can sing a bit softer and then we add like three you can add two our overdubs so it's um i don't know the most vocal the most tracks we ever did i think that's on um, might be on uh, across the rubicon it's a lot of overdubs and a lot of harmonies in that one might have been 40 tracks or something like that wow that's that's a lot of vocal tracks yeah a lot yeah so this uh this album starts uh with 1980x heaven hill and so right here in this first song the song is uh the lyrics are welcome back to heaven hill same old sound same old thrill is this you basically announcing to your fans we're back we're the same moon safari that you've always known and loved yeah yeah it is uh and uh if you play him back in volume one uh sugar band ends with a what do you say uh a false cadence or something like that so if you play volume one and then volume two right after they see into each other in the, in the right key so that was always the, the part the the plan and uh yeah we wanted you know uh kind of a a rocking opener as like a magical mystery tour kind of thing you know okay yeah i can see it but that it's definitely the appropriate opening track and and um tell me when these songs were written because you said you you got the drums uh laid down in 2019 how how long ago were the songs actually written by you guys so uh, uh i think teen angel meets the apocalypse uh we wrote that song in 2014 i think there's an army being born a 
wrote that song over a weekend, uh, 2014 or 15, 15 might be the case, but uh, wrote it over, over a weekend uh, and basically had the, the basic structure for the song, uh, um, not that far from, from the finished finished thing you hear on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I uh, I rewrote the, the lyrics a couple of times, you know, uh, it's just, I was being political at first, but I was no way I could keep up with <laughs> the shenanigans in the today's political climate. So I, uh, I changed direction. It's still a little bit political, you know, it's the end of the world, but, but it's like, would you recommend your daughter to mm. yeah, go for a career in the music industry? So, <laughs> yeah. And it's an ode to, you know, the rock and roll history. There's a lot yeah. of Easter eggs in the track. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, very interesting song. I, I, I'm going to dive into that with you but a, a little more in a bit. But how do you guys start writing a song? I know you guys have multiple writers in the band. How does a, a Moon Safari song start? Is it with someone sending a, 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 you know, I don't know, like two or three minute clip of something that they've recorded or, or, or do you work on things as a group? How does it work? It, it could be that um, everybody has, you know, their, their home recording studio. And uh, it can be that, you know, we asked, so does anyone have any idea? And, to see what what's on the computer and stuff like that, and uh, and then we go from there, or uh, we just sit down with guitars and a piano and it's like, so does anyone have any ideas? And it's like oh, always <laughs> we got it stacked, so it's so we know now there's a cue, you know, for the next album. It's like okay, I got a couple of ones and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That way, that way, we won't have to wait another ten years for the next one. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. So, if a song gets to be twenty-one minutes, like uh, "Teen Angel Meets the Apocalypse," does it grow to that from a bunch of like three to five-minute clips, or does somebody sit down and write eighteen or twenty minutes worth of music? Uh, for for Teen Angel, um, I had. Uh, the the main theme you hear uh, uh the in, intro theme and the like the first couple of minutes I had them pretty sorted but Simon added a couple of things you know uh, uh, like the Bach part and uh, some chord stuff and uh, and uh, uh, the verses it was always my plan to uh, have me singing first then Simon and then Pontus and then the bridge I think we wrote the, the cars together. So the first day when we wrote that song, I think we, I think we had up until, you know, after the second chorus. And it's like Simon had to go home and say night and night to the kids and cook dinner. And, uh, and then we're like, okay, so where do we go from here? And then we checked, you know, Simon has a couple of files on the computers might be a file just called fire. So we check out what that fire part is. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, this sounds cool. It's same key. And we just, this time we just added on part. And then uh, I think we knew, we knew where we were going with an instrumental part and uh, 
And then next day we Simon just sat there and it's like, what what about an Emerson part? It's like yes, we go from there and now we need vocals back and uh yeah. Okay. Uh, it was, so, yeah, so it sort of grows organically yeah, it from grows. there. It's, I mean, uh, other half of the sky. That that track I knew was going to be thirty minutes, and uh, Simon helped me bridge a lot of those those uh, a lot of parts in that song. But I basically wrote all of that song on on the uh, on an acoustic guitar, and so I so I kind of knew that one. I sat like, okay, we're up at, at twenty five minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that song is um, it's very special. It's it's the fastest half hour you can spend doing anything. It just seems, oh, thank you. It seems to fly by so quickly. It doesn't feel like you're there for a half an hour when you're listening to it. So no. that's the sign of a good epic is that, you know, you might think, Oh, what, what is that song about eight minutes long? No, it's 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, we never, uh, set boundaries for it. For it, it a song has to be three or four or eight or, you kind of know it's like okay this is probably going to be a bigger one especially mm. if you know it's like the vocals kicks in at around four minutes then it's like okay <laughs> this won't be six minutes i'm sure yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah otherwise it's a really really short vocal um yeah it's always amazes me bands that routinely put out 20 or 30 minute songs how do you know when you're done how do you know when you stop adding things? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, so that's that's the thing with Teen Angel, particularly. Yes, like we wrote it fourteen or fifteen, uh, and we've been listening to it since ever since, you know. And and uh, and to keep things fresh, you know, there was there was I had some arguments with with a couple of the guys. But, I'm going to try this or, or cut this part out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like it's because we have listened to it for eight years. Our fans have not. Uh, so it's like, but we, we compromise with a couple of things, but uh, mm. so should we change the groove on this part? And I'm like, no, it stays. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the, always the thing when you work on something and you work on something and you get sick of something, but other people yeah. haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can, you, you can, you, I think making, you just have to let it go at some point, you know, mm-hmm. because you could still polishing, you know, the, until the, until there's nothing left. But, uh, I mean, yeah. uh, a record is it's never finished. I mean, I would love to go back and do all my lead vocals on the first couple of albums and, uh, remix them or change a couple of things or uh, production wise or stuff like that but it's just it's just let them go and they'll have their own little life yeah but that's uh, that's true it, like any art it's never really done you just have to yeah, get to a they, point where you're willing to let it go yeah and they get a second life anyway uh when you when you play them live mm-hmm. and then i mean then you can try a couple of things you know it's like I always wanted to do this on that part or something like that. We we never did it in the studio. Should we? And I think there's time for that uh, in the, doing it live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take some uh, liberties with it and yeah, just try some new, stretch it out in new ways. 
when you guys are recording, do you all take turns singing lead and then determine what's the best? Or do you know what going in, who's going to sing lead on what parts based on just knowing how your voices work or, uh, or is it based on who wrote the part? Uh, uh, I think it's, it's like who wrote the part, who wrote the song. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a no brainer. If you want a song that he should sing the lead and, uh, and Pontus and, uh, but and me and Simon, we, you know, we often spice things up and we, we do the back and forth thing or, uh, and it's like, okay, I sing the, I sing the verses and the bridge, you can take the chorus or I can take the break in Simon's song or something like that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if everybody likes it, but I love when bands that have multiple singers take turns and trade lines. I think that's, I think that's great. I, I always have enjoyed that no matter you know, what band it is when you have multiple yeah. people that can sing, why not use everybody? Yeah. Yeah. That's, so- I mean, yes, this is like the, the Beatles thing, you know, when it's like Lennon joins the McCartney uh, break or something like that, or mm-hmm. vice versa. It's, yeah. Yeah. Outstanding it adds, stuff. Yeah. It adds to something, something special to the song. Yeah. And not every band can do that. Some bands just have the one singer. So, you, you know, might as well, take advantage of the thing that sets you apart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Eagles and cross the seals Nash. And yeah. Yeah. So you, um, track two between the devil and me is your first epic on the albums over 10 minutes long. It was the first single, nice 10 minute single for you. Uh, there's a lyric, a, a lyric video for it that you guys have, uh, put out already. So people can go check that out. And I feel like this is one of moon safari's, heaviest songs if that makes sense i mean does does michael have a, a heavier foot or use more double kick drum than than tobias did hey he's a hard hitter he really is and uh i think he's he's um michael's a great producer writer and uh drummer and keyboard player and uh and the he has a thing for the low end i think and he is uh and this time we it was a really detail he has detail for the ewan and michael they uh were really interlocked in mm. the the recording with like the bass and the kick drum and how they should you know play together to be really tight and it was uh rehearsed really well normally we'd we'd just wing it in the studio you know and mm-hmm. we'd add the bass later and uh and, and we knew that we were probably that this album was co- probably going to be a bit heavier we knew the the material and uh and i mean um i don't think it's it's metal but it's, it's more hard rock i think yeah but, it's a yeah. little crunchier little little more yeah, crunch it's a bit cruncher, yeah, yeah yeah it is but yeah but it still contains those those beautiful harmonies and and uh it it there's plenty of space for that. There's plenty of space for the for those those soaring harmonies and the and the melodies to come through. But there's just those moments of, you know, you're just you're just getting into it maybe a little bit more aggressively than than maybe in on past records that, that I think yeah. is really appealing. I mean, uh, it's like you know, uh, Images and Words by Dream Theater. It's uh, I consider Dream Theater to be a progressive metal band, but mm-hmm. that that record is, uh, I think it's 
it's almost progressive rock at times. You know, it's the guitars are heavy, but it's a kind of a bright sounding and uh, yeah, crossover. I say. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think that's a an apt description. Yeah. Uh, then you have to uh, you get that little short palate cleanser with Emma. Come on which is a great title. Um, tell me a little bit about that little song. playing that one since for a long time uh yeah it's, it's simon's song um he had i don't know what the title was for his it was nine eight or something like that and he wanted to do like a a groove in nine eight to feel as four four as possible you know that was kind of an exercise i think and uh, and he had uh, like the theme written the theme the two part, the the keyboard and the guitar part, uh, and we all loved it when we heard it, and we were started singing. You know, so like normally how we do is like, oh, we need vocal, we need vocals here. But I think Simon's version, first verse version, was the the chorus for that song was the verses, mm. and he had three part harmonies or something like that. It was like and me and you when we started like singing something fish would do on incommunicado your stuff like that and yeah. we and we always like whoa we started <laughs> maybe we should do that with brass and and yeah it was like we felt it was kind of an 80s like uh genesis during visible touch if they were still keeping the one foot in the progressive rock genre okay yeah i Something i can't wait like to go i can't wait to go back and listen to it now and count it because i didn't notice that uh the time signature um yeah i think it's i think the whole song is nine eight yeah wow yeah that's progressive rock man <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we go into track four which might be my favorite on the record a lifetime to learn how to love it's uh it's eight and a half minutes, but this thing sounds big. It sounds full. I love the big epic finish to this song, the way that it just builds up. And um, I don't know what the genesis of this song was, but I, I can tell you, whatever you're going for, it works for me. <laughs>
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's Pontus' song. Uh, Pontus wrote this this track, and uh, uh, I helped him. Uh, I wrote the lyrics, and uh, I helped him a, a bit with the uh, the vocal the vocal melodies, uh, because normally I when I write lyrics, I know what, what the vocal melody is. And so I, so I, I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to sing a track for you. You can keep it if you want to, like with, with the, the lyrics. And uh, I think, I think it kept a, a big chunk of it, but um, it's Pontus track. It's for his, uh, it's like the, his, his follow-up to my little man, but this one's, was for his little girl, but she, mm. she's 20 now because <laughs> no, not really, but like almost 10, I guess. But, um, and I think me and Simon, we, we kind of helped him with, uh, a bit with, uh, that vocal break. And, uh, at the end it was like this, this part, bam, 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 go for that. And, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he and he built a, a big crescendo with a an amazing guitar solo. I think. Let's and, talk. And Michael, I think he added the you know the uh, the string arrangement and uh, okay, you have the the last chord is a yeah. It's the, the end of that song is amazing. Uh, let's yeah. talk about Pontus a little bit because I one of the notes that I have is that this is a great guitar album for moon safari this is probably my favorite moon safari album in terms of the electric guitar work has pontus been working uh or listening to some new influences is he just asserting himself a little more but i, I don't recall I, I know that the guitar has been great throughout but it really seems to have hit like a new level on this record yeah he's just getting better and better and um i think he plays he plays guitar in an AOR band called Autumn's Child, I think. I think, it, yeah, I think it's Autumn's Child. It's a, a Swedish AOR band. Okay. And uh, I, I think that has elevated his his, his playing, but uh, he's he's been really he's been really good all along. But it's mm -hmm. like. I don't know. It's it's a bit like you know the the first IQ albums. Mike Holmes uh, is, yeah. and on the later albums he has these big solos, you know, and yeah, it's become a, a part of their sound now. But and uh, it's kind of similar. But he's he's yeah, he's outstanding, and he he can play anything, you know. It's, it's all different kind of styles. And maybe that's just what ten years more of uh, experience will do for you. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to go into every song because I want to keep you here all day, but uh, Blood Moon, again, is a great song. And then you get the 21-minute album's epic centerpiece, Teen Angel Meets the Apocalypse. Uh, you, you already talked a little bit about this song, but when you have a song that length, how do you determine where to put it in the track order, uh, in the you know, in the sequence? Uh, yeah, it's... Um... It was was quite tricky because at one point we were going to, in my uh, opinion, that we were going to make a double album, mm. and I think we had like three more demos, and uh, 
and I I wanted to ha- have a, an instrumental song on there called Bloom You just to throw people off. But uh, the the track order, I think, you know, we knew that uh, Heaven Hill was going to be the first one, mm-hmm. and then you know, uh, Between the Devil and Me made sense. And then it's like, okay, so what do we do here? And uh, it just felt, you know, you start thinking, we, we knew we wanted to make a, a, a vinyl, an NLP. And so you start considering that, then it becomes kind of a, a bit like a puzzle. But uh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to, this, the first album is uh, a bit more rocking, you know, uh, uh, it's progressive rock, but more commercial, or uh, you know, mm-hmm. more direct, and uh, and to have the the second part to be more more of the you know the epic moves for a sound. So is this a double vinyl then? Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna have uh, side C. That's Teen Angel. Yeah, Teen Angel. Just one song, but yeah, it's, uh, what a song it is. It's uh, again, it's thank you. It's gonna stand right up against all of the other massive moon safari epics that you guys have done and you get forever for you which uh is a 10 minute song and that's the one with the uh saxophone uh that was added by jameson smelt And you guys end with epilogue and you guys don't, I always find this interesting, a a band that sings in English, but it's not their primary language, not your first language, but you guys sing most of your songs in English, but you do occasionally slip uh, one of those Swedish tracks in there. Yeah. Yes. The first time we we've sung in, in Swedish, but um, we, um, I, I, want, I always wanted to to uh, revisit the, the kids theme from from Himmelbacken Volume One, mm. uh, and I had the like the vocal melody and and the chords, and I said Simon, it's like we should we should connect this one with uh, Forever for You, so we uh, just stayed in the same key, and uh, the Swedish Church they were uh, expanding their their hymn book. And it's like, isn't that a bucket list thing to be in this Swedish hymn book, you know, and maybe I have a song sung by kids in schools before summer break or communion or something like that. And we, I, we wrote that. It's the last song we wrote for the album. And it, it went quite fast. We, we missed the deadline. But, but uh, it just felt natural to, to because 
the album is, is um, like revisiting childhood and uh, places where we grew up and uh, friends and and it just made sense, you know, to, to when you know when you were a kid and we grew up, uh, summer break seemed to to last forever, and uh, so we, it just made sense to write it in Swedish. And uh, I did for the for a Japanese label, I did a translation to to English, but mm. and uh, I mean English is a infinitely more rich language. If the, if that means we have way too many words, then you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, but it's so. Uh, but but when I translated it to English, it's hard to to find the same colorful words. That, but I don't know. Well, it's a it's interesting. You brought up a church hymn. That's the note that I wrote down for Beyond the Blue. That this one sounds like a church hymn to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's Johan's track, and um, I don't know what the background is, but uh, he, I think he wanted. Uh, he always does, you know, comes comes up with these uh, the vocals, the vocal tracks like Constant Bloom. I think first started with him and and kids as well, so it's that's kind of his. <laughs> but uh, and I think it was a cappella first, but but. Uh, We've added a, a couple of sprinkles on that one. Yeah. Well, I didn't think that you guys would be able to put out an album that I liked more than these, uh, because these are both extremely high in my estimation. Uh, but I think Himmlerbach and Volume Two stands at least alongside those two, if it doesn't surpass them. And I think that this is going to be a very big treat uh, for Moon Safari fans, and hopefully, it also also will make you some new fans. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Now, are you going to be able to play some live dates? You, you mentioned, uh, you know, playing playing these songs live. You get to experiment a little bit. Uh, have you got anything lined up? Uh, the only thing we have booked is a festival in in Norway next May, and that's with a couple of Swedish friends, Act and uh, Beardfish, are going there as well. Very good, very good bands. I I had Act on the show. I love those guys. They're so good. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah. All right. Well, when somebody brings this album home, they buy it, they put it on their player, they listen to it fully all the way through. What do you hope that they take away from that experience? I, where have these guys been? I need to give them money so they can make more albums. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. No, but uh, you know, it's uh, music. Just, I mean, if someone listens. 
listens to our music, loves our music, listens to it on Spotify, downloads it, steals it, whatever. But and if it's if it if it inspires them, you know, then it's worth it, you know. I think we we write music, songs we want to hear ourselves. I, I know some artists, you know, they uh it's it's like songs are a pain they have to cut from themselves or something like that. And so I don't wanna needs to leave my body or something like that but mm. i think in our case it's like we, we write songs we want to hear you know it's like records we want to for me anyway it's like a, rec- a record you would want to put in your record collection if that makes sense yeah well that's why you're on michael's record collection that's what we do here we talk about great yeah. music so uh petter sandstrom from moon safari uh what's the best place for people to buy this record uh i think uh in U.S., we have Laser's Edge, Laser's, Laser's TV, Edge, yeah, yeah, and uh, Symphonic. I think might be a couple of uh, other places in Europe. Uh, Just for Kicks and Burning Shed from, from the U.K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've yeah. ordered. I've sent Burning Shed way too much of my money. I think over the years. Yeah, they're the <laughs> only one that. that selling the the vinyl the mm. the first first batch anyway okay petter thank you so much for telling me about this record i hope it does it really well for you i'm glad that moon safari is back i'm glad you thank got a new you, album coming out <laughs> and i wish you nothing but the best of success thank you so much for your time thank you it was a pleasure michael's record collection is hosted and produced by michael citro Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.